As we come now to God's Word, you can turn in your Bibles if you'd like to read with me to 2 Samuel in chapter 17. That's in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter 17. If you're reading in the Pew Bible, it's a slightly different translation than mine, but it's essentially the same, or you can just listen. Um, And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, this is, this is your word, and it will not return empty, but will, will accomplish your purposes. We trust you in this. Now, Lord, would you help us now to really hear and to willingly submit to the things that you put before us? Would you guide us now by your spirit? And we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the bulletin lists the entirety of this chapter. I won't read this entire thing. I want to read these first 14 verses here in chapter 17. And in fact, I want to back up just one verse into the very last verse of of chapter 16. So this is chapter 16, beginning in verse 23. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he's weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father's an expert in war. He won't spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there's been slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you, from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea from multitude, and that you go into battle in person, So shall we come upon him in some place where he is to be found. 
and we shall light upon him as dew falls upon the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. This is the word of God. Now, we know this has been a long going for us. We've been several months now in this series. This historical account of Absalom in God's word is not as short and tidy as some accounts in Israel. This isn't just a quick Goliath story where we sling a stone and it's all over with. We are now coming very close to the end of these historical events. This has been for them a decade-long conflict between David, the king of Israel, and his son Absalom. And it has escalated now at this point to the, to the point of civil war in their nation. You'll remember that Absalom, David's son, had stolen the hearts, the scripture says, of the men of Israel uh, with some tricky political maneuvering. And Absalom had taken over the throne as a self-appointed king, and he forced his father, the King David, out of the capital of Jerusalem. So David's now on the run, and and Absalom, the son, made himself a stench to his father, as we saw last week, by, by sleeping with the king's concubines. And now Absalom, who is now in the place of the king, is looking to finish off his father, the current king. He wants to get rid of him altogether, and the only question left is really, how do we do that? So he brings in uh, some advisors. Advice is good. He brings in this guy Ahithophel, which we heard is esteemed. He, his advice is seen as on par with the word of God. And, and so the, uh, Absalom calls Ahithophel in for his counsel. And, and Ahithophel says, look, we know that King David has just escaped Jerusalem last night. He barely got out. He's now on the run. He is weary and discouraged. There's only just a few hundred men with him. And so we need to strike now. Tonight, even. Not even wait till morning while it's still unexpected. So, so Absalom, I, I, I'm going to choose 12,000 men. This is 10 times more, at least, than David has. 12,000 men, and I'll pursue them now, and I will kill the king. Just the king. I'll leave everyone else alone. And we'll gather them up and bring those rebels back into Jerusalem to be, to be put back under your authority so that you will be the only king in Israel now that David is dead and Israel will be at peace. That's the advice he gives. And at the end of it, in verse 4, we hear these words, and the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. It's as if they're listening and as he's going, you see the heads nodding. Mm-hmm. 
yes. And by the end, they go, yes, that's the way. So if it seemed right to them, why did they not follow Ahithophel's counsel? I mean, this is war here, and, and, and if it's urgent, why not just take the baton and run? Just, you know, go for it. And yet something, something makes Absalom pause. He hesitates. Something holds him back. So instead of just kind of running with it, he says... Let's check with Hushai first. He even calls Hushai in specially. The guy's not just sitting on the side. Call Hushai in. We want to hear Hushai's counsel on this. Now, this is a very odd decision for Absalom to make because the author has told us, if you've been here, you may have noticed this in previous weeks, the author has told us several times before that Hushai is David's friend. Hushai is still David's trusted advisor uh, and, and so when David went to escape Jerusalem, Hushai tried to go with him, but David stops Hushai and says, no, I have, a, I have a better plan for you. I want you to go back into Jerusalem as a spy. And I want you to tell Absalom that, that you'll serve him and so that you can defeat the council of Ahithophel and any others. And so that's what Hushai does. He goes back in Jerusalem. He, he, he risks his neck in doing this. He's now pushing against this guy who has taken over Israel. And, and when Hushai sees Absalom uh, in Jerusalem, he says, long live the king. Although he doesn't say which king he's actually talking about. <laughs> and, and he says, I belong to the one the Lord has chosen. Which again, he does not say who he's talking about. But Absalom receives him in. And as he does this, again, this is in the previous chapter, Absalom seems a little skeptical. Just a little suspicious, and rightly so. Absalom says to Hushai, Is this what your loyalty to David looks like? Why didn't you go with David? In other words... Hushai, are you really with us? He's giving him there the side-eye glance. And Absalom is right to feel that because what he is sensing in his gut, we know as a reader, we know this is for sure, Abs or Hushai is really on the side of David, the Lord's anointed king. And Hushai is trying purposefully to throw a wrench into Absalom's plan. He's trying now to buy some time for, the king, for King David to regroup so they can get all the way across the Jordan River so that they'd have just a few more hours to get things together. So that's Hushai's goal, to disrupt everything now in Jerusalem with, with Absalom and, and his, his group of folks. But Hushai doesn't even have to weasel his way in. Absalom oddly now calls Hushai in specially, specifically to seek his counsel on how to proceed. What Hushai does then is first to dismantle everything that they'd heard from the previous counselor, Ahithophel. They'd all agreed, remember, they'd nodded their heads when the first guy gave his advice, but now Hushai comes and goes, no, not good. 
Uh, David, he says, will, uh, the, the king will not be weary. He won't be tired. He is mad. The, the king is like a bear with its cubs taken away. He is, he is furious. And more than that, he is smart. The king, uh, the, king David is an experienced warrior. So you're not just going to be able to walk into his camp and kill him and be done with it. You know he's going to be hidden away, tucked in some other place. And if you attack him now, it will only awaken all of his supporters who were loyal and brave men, and they will rally against you, and you'll have a full-on war on your hands. His advice is not good, says Hushai. So instead, Hushai gives this alternative plan. He says, uh, Absalom... Let's take our time for a minute. Let's take some attention to gather a full army. Uh, not just 12,000 men, that's not enough. I want you to go from Dan, which is the northern city, to Beersheba, which is the southern city, basically all Israel, and gather this massive, massive army, and then you can fall on David like dew on the ground. You could pull down an entire city if you need to until David and everyone who is with him is all wiped out. That's the advice of Hushai. And when he's done giving this advice, I imagine, it's not in the text, but in my mind, that Hushai held his breath just to see how Absalom's going to respond if he'd say, oh, now I see you're a spy, and he'd be executed? Or will his plan work? And as he waits for Absalom to respond, the seconds tick by like an eternity. And then Absalom looks at Hushai. Here now is the text. Yes. This council is better than the first, better than the counsel of Ahithophel. And they all agree. And I imagine inside, Hushai's going, <laughs> jumping up and down and trying to restrain his excitement. Now, we have to wonder at this point, why is Absalom so willing to listen to Hushai? I mean, this is a guy that moments ago he seemed very skeptical of, that he knew was loyal to David, his enemy. So what is it that tips the scales in Absalom's mind? Maybe you've noticed that with the first counselor, with Ahithophel, the guy that gave the first plan, his plan basically revolves around himself. Ahithophel's plan revolves around himself. Um, he says, Ahithophel says, I will choose men. I will pursue them tonight. I will strike down the king, and I will bring the rebels back. Can you guess who would get the glory in that situation? Not Absalom. But now Hushai comes in with this alternative plan and his plan culminates in this, verse 11. Hushai's the second uh, plan. His plan is, my counsel is that all Israel, Absalom, will be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for the multitude, multitude and that you will go back into battle in person. In other words, he says, 
Absalom, you will be the center of this attack. You'll be the figurehead. You'll be the one that everyone sees. You'll, you'll be the one marching into battle with all your flowing locks sweeping behind you. And you can almost see Absalom's eyes widen just a bit as he hears that. This plan is better than the first. Hushai, I think, knows that success here is not about having a better plan or counsel. He's using some wisdom here. He knows that he needs to appeal to what Absalom most deeply desires. He needs to appeal to his ego and his self-interest. And so that's what he does. Oh, it's a very clever approach. And yet, the author is very clear that the reason why his account or why his counsel was followed is not because he was clever. That's not the main reason, at least, that the counsel succeeds. The center of this whole account is in verse 14. And if you miss anything else from the sermon, you should hear this. It's uh, verse 14, the second half. The author now tells us this. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. The reason that that counsel was followed is because the Lord had ordained it. Now the first counsel, the Ahithophel's counsel is called good here, not in the sense that it's righteous or honorable. It's good in the sense that it would have worked as a strategy, tactically, to go after David right now, do it quick while he's weak and tired. Tactically, that would have been a very smart thing to do. Hit him now while while he can't breathe, and everything might have ended right there. And yet Absalom did not follow that counsel because the Lord ordained, or some translations translate this word, the Lord purposed, or the Lord commanded, the defeat of that council to produce Absalom's demise. It's as if the author, in recording all these events, we see everything that's happening, but in this verse, just for a moment, pulls back the curtain, or at least tucks it aside just a peek, so that for just a moment we catch a glimpse of the scepter of the true king. in the midst of Absalom throwing every elbow he has to try to gain the kingdom, the kingdom of God is never in real jeopardy. Not even a little. We get to see things now reading it from a distance that not even the people who are within these events know for sure. So Hushai the guy who gave this advice, the spy, has, he has no idea that the Lord is working through him. He doesn't know if Absalom will suddenly change his mind or if he'll be executed. And, and so for the rest of the chapter, in the part that we didn't read, he sends a series of, of spies back to David to say, hey, you've got to get out of here quick because they're talking about going now. And Absalom has no idea that the Lord is about to bring harm upon him. 
that the Lord will turn his own evil upon his head. And David has no idea that his prayer has been answered. Just a little bit ago, in the account, when David was forced out of Jerusalem, and he learns that Ahithophel and all these others have joined forces with Absalom, he prays. This is back in chapter 15, verse 31. And it was told to David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, this is now the prayer, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him. Right at the end of this prayer where he says, Lord, please defeat this council, up walks Hushai, who has no idea that he is the very answer to the prayer that David has just prayed. And David does not know this as well. In our own lives, so often, the Lord is profoundly and meticulously at work and yet we have no idea what's really going on. It's even in the minutia, in, in, the, in the small and tiny details, even there the Lord is the complete commander. When Absalom first heard the counsel of Ahithophel, remember it says it seemed right to him, it seemed right to all of them. They thought, yes, this is a good plan. And yet, something tugged at him. Something that he did not know was the Lord really commanding him. And as a result, he says, call in Hushai. And that changed the entire direction of this civil war. All of this is what the author of these Proverbs say in Proverbs chapter 19. Two Proverbs here are stuck right next to each other on purpose. This is Proverbs 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In other words, we're reminded, you know, we should, we should seek after counsel. This is good. A wise man will look for advice. But in the very next proverb, it, it reminds us that no matter how many plans we make, how elaborate or detailed those plans may be, it is the Lord's purpose that will stand always, even if we can't see behind the curtain. Now, this reality, the Lord's complete command over all things, can be a great comfort and rest to us. But I am aware that this may also bring some huge challenges into our thinking. Because we know that in the account of the life of Absalom, even just there, we have seen some truly 
awful events happen in the previous chapter. We've seen David's adultery with Bathsheba. We've seen the death of a child. We've seen violence against Tamar. We've seen the disgrace of David. We've seen the abuse of the concubines, and we've seen war in Israel. And that's just the beginning of the list. Perhaps you could add other things from your own life that are hard, heavy, as we all have really experienced true brokenness and hurt and even in some ways may have contributed to these with our own sin. But when the author here of God's word gives us this peek behind the curtain, he says to us, don't forget the Lord remains in charge of all of this. He is still in complete command, and that will never change. I know it's difficult to sort through all the implications of this. And if we're not careful, if we think too much about some of those implications, it can drive us crazy or, or lead us down some very dark paths that the Bible does not take us down. It's a conversation worth having, although I cannot do it good justice here. But even in light of that, we also know that the fact that the Lord is in command of all things, is that fact is far better than any alternative. Can you imagine if the fate of Israel, instead of resting securely in the complete command of the Lord, if their fate instead depended upon the command of whoever happened to be strongest at the moment. If their direction rested in whoever holds the power through whatever sinful or foolish means. If their end rested in whoever could give the best or cleverest advice. If their end rested in whatever invisible evil forces might be at work or if their end rested in just whoever happened to be in the room by chance when important decisions were being made. We do not want the winds of fate or the forces of evil or even the will of man to really be in command. We don't want that. And fortunately, Scripture tells us that they are not in full command. The truth is far better. That the Lord is always, always, always stronger, powerfully in command for his good and wise purposes. And the Lord in a twist in the story, uses his own commanding power to put himself in the line of fire. 
that Jesus not only lived a righteous life, but gave up his own life over to death in love to cleanse, to restore, and to transform ones who are abused and disgraced, to cleanse and transform adulterers and murderers, to cleanse and transform one ones whom have committed violence and the ones who have had violence done against them, to transform liars and thieves and cowards, to transform the makers of war and the victims of war. Jesus, in his commanding power, is turning this whole ugly mess on its head for his good purposes. And for all who come to him by faith, he says, yes, come. Dwell in my safety. Follow me and abide in my love, and I will help you by my grace to live in joyful obedience and to continue to put aside sin and repentance. And for the rest, for those who deny and reject him, who persist in their own sin for their own purposes as Absalom had done, the Lord says, I will hold you accountable for your wickedness. And I will command to bring harm upon you. And I will turn your evil back upon your head. As we close here, the prophet Isaiah touches on these things. And this is what he says here in, in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 6. He says this, Seek the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that the Lord may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose, and it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We may not understand all of what God is doing, or even most of it. But we do know that the Lord is still in complete command. So as one writer has put it, the Lord has not hung a vacancy sign over his universe or over his people.
he is still present and bringing his word to pass. And sometimes that is the only assurance that keeps his people sane. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us to be humbled at the thought of these things, not to elevate ourselves to the level of you, but, Lord, that we would see your lordship. Help us, Lord, even in all the difficulties of these things, to come to love your command because you are good And what you do is good. And we give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.